Hello and welcome along to the RTE Rugby Podcast. Week one of the 2024 Guinness Six Nations is in the can and it's fair to say there's only one country right now feeling pretty good about themselves. Reaction to Ireland's 38-17 win, a record 38-17 win away to France is coming up as well as Saturday's games in Cardiff and Rome. And we'll look ahead at this Sunday's visit of Italy to Dublin as well. Uh, Today, it's myself and JP Cooney on the pod. JP, good morning. Thanks a million for joining us. How about Neil? How are you? I'm very, very well. And uh, looking forward to talking about this because there's only one place to start. France 17, Ireland 38, a 21-point win in Marseille. To put it in context, the previous previous record margin of victory for Ireland away to France was just seven points. So this is... This is three times that. It's probably a good a good benchmark to set this this whole podcast at. Um, be honest, what were you thinking before the game? What were your expectations? I mean, I don't know if you listened to the pod last week. I think we were all hopeful of a decent Ireland performance, but uh, we still weren't particularly confident of an Ireland win. We certainly weren't confident that they were going to win by by twenty one points. What were you feeling before the game? Um. I'll be honest about it, Neil. Uh, I, I, I thought it was going to be close, but I thought France were going to edge it. Um, I won't. I won't say I was surprised by the result, right? Because I, like Ireland are a fantastic team. Um, but what I was surprised by, and like this is not taking anything away from Ireland's performance. I thought they were magnificent, magnificent. In you could see what they set out, what they wanted to do, and they went out and they did it. Um. I, I don't think France were at the races at all um, in terms of their performance, in terms of their standard. Um, yeah, look, massive, massive win for, for Ireland. Um, I know, like, we're, we're reviewing this now, but I was delighted to see it. Absolutely delighted to see it. Yeah, it really was. And uh, I had been kind of leaning towards France leading up to the game. And then Thursday, I was sitting down to write a, write the preview of it for Friday morning and as I was writing it, I was talking myself around a little bit towards Ireland, but at the same time, then I was like, "I, like you're just kind of, you're just you're just trying to create a narrative for yourself." And then eventually, I was like, "No, France or France looked the better team." You know, it's you know obviously it's in France, and you're thinking of a World Cup hangover and everything like that. And um, and then the ten minutes before the game, uh, I was over in Marseille, and the ten minutes before the game, uh, the atmosphere in that stadium was off the charts they like they just they know how to put on a show over there they had the lights out in the stadium the noise was off the scale and i was sitting there going okay this I, i'm i'm getting really worried now because like for any away team to come out i know they're not actually seeing that but even when the teams were coming out and everything and around the anthems it was just so loud it was raucous it was a complete cauldron in the velodrome yeah. and you were thinking like I'm two years ago when Ireland played France in Paris in the Six Nations and France go over and score a try inside the first ninety seconds or two minutes. It it felt like something like that was going to come. Yeah. But what was so impressive was how Ireland they just there was a little half little half chance for France in the first minute or so. Um Ireland kind of weren't great on a kick chase. France moved it out wide. Damien Pinot went down towards the corner. Hugo Keenan put in a good tackle and put him out of play. And over the next few minutes, Ireland had three lineouts, won all three of them, and you could just see bit by bit settling themselves into the game. They get a penalty under the post, 
kick that to go three points up. And then obviously the first Paul Valencia yellow card happens. But even by that stage, Ireland looked nice and settled and relaxed and calm in that first 10 minutes and just took it from there. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely, Neil. And make, make no mistake about it, um, having that game in Marseille, having it at nine o'clock in the night, um, that was to, I suppose, give that atmosphere that you're after describing there, 100%, um, taking it out of Paris, bringing it down to Marseille, um, down towards the south of France, where I won't say the true rugby supporters of, of French rugby are, but they're probably a different type of supporter than... 100%, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't see them, you know, maybe wearing a suit into the game, eating a prawn cock, you know, prawn sandwich before it. Um, I'd imagine these guys were, you know, had finish up work or whatever it is they're doing, have a few glasses of wine and really get behind the, the French national team, you know. Um, and, you know, the, the, the atmosphere, I know you had witnessed it firsthand. It, it came true on the TV as well. Um, can't remember what coverage I was watching, but it panned around the stadium there at one stage. All the lights were off and all you could see was the people with their camera phones um, lighting up the, 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 the stadium. Um, can be intimidating for a team. Um, but I think it's a testament to Ireland what kind, what kind of a calibre of a team they are that they're able to go down there and pull out a performance like that in a in a coliseum nearly everyone baying for their blood. Um, no, I, t- I like that on top of who they're playing, the calibre of team that they beat and beat comprehensively. I think it was a fantastic performance. Yeah, and like for as as well as Ireland, like, you know, they were very ruthless in attack and they did some some fantastic stuff, but they did, it was just, the mentality was so good from the start as well. Um, Like we mentioned the first few minutes where they kind of silenced the crowd ever so slightly, but even if you look at the other stages through the game, and one of the things Andy Farrell said afterwards that pleased him most about the victory was the points that France actually got back into the game and they looked like they were getting ahead of steam. Ireland just killed that momentum. So yeah. the last, ironically enough, it was it was pretty much after Belemsa got his second yellow card and a red and France went down to 14. And all of a sudden, that just seemed to kind of wake them up and they started to play right up to halftime. They got their try and going into the halftime whistle, going into the halftime break, Ireland were only seven points up at this stage. Yeah. Like, that's a long time to stew over conceding a try late. France had scored that try late and, you know, all of a sudden it's a different game heading into halftime. They come out after the after the break. I know France missed a penalty pretty much off the off the whistle, but from there Ireland just went back to what they were doing. They got down, they got the next score to go fourteen points ahead, and then you know further on into the second half, France come back. They win a flurry of penalties down into the corner. They score a try. Ireland go down to fourteen players with Peter O'Mahony's yellow card, and all of a sudden Ireland are just seven points up on France. It's fourteen on fourteen for the next ten minutes. And there's still just under 30 minutes left to play. There was a lot of rugby left in that game and it was a one-score match. But what did Ireland do? They settled things down all over again and pretty much with the last act of Peter O'Mahony's sin binning, Ireland go over and score the bonus point try. They win that 10-minute block, seven points to nil. And from there, they never really looked back. Like It was just those moments of just confidence and assuredness and not letting not letting the moment or not letting the setbacks get the better of them or compounding errors with other errors 
like yep. maybe we'll talk about Scotland a little bit later on where, you know, they sensed the team are coming back into it and they started to panic, but there was nothing like that from Ireland. No, no, absolutely not. And you get the sense from, from looking at them as a team that it's very much, they stick to the plan, you know, like they set, they set out a stall of what they want to do. Like I'm sure Andy Farrell, um, the leaders within the Irish squad would have, you know, said, this is how we're going to go after France. And we'll probably jump into it a bit in a minute. Um, and all it is then on top of that is just focusing on that plan. No matter what happens, no matter what, you know, personally, Neil, I saw Mauvaka take that quick tap, um, maybe seven or eight yards from the line and Penno gets over, big carry from Antonio and Damien Penau scores a try just on the stroke of half time. I was thinking to myself, you know, that's going to give a bit of life to France. That's mm. going to get them, with, with Valenza gone off or not. Um, but yet, come out in the second half and they just go back to executing their plan. That's all they do. So, yeah, look, in terms of, and even like the, the environment, like it would have been easy. It, like a lot of other teams, I won't say it would have been easy, but a lot of other teams, you know, the result might have been very, very different. But in terms of what they're, what their focus or what they were looking at to do or what they were looking to do to France. They just executed it from minute one to minute 80 or 83 or 84, what was ever, whatever was on the clock when, when Conor Murray kicked it dead, you know? Um, and I think that's the mental strength. That's the, even, you know, when things don't go your way, adversity, the ability to go back to that plan and just focus on the next job or focus on the next, they call them little moments, but, getting a little moment wrong can have a very big effect on the outcome of a game. Um, and I think Ireland done that superbly when last Friday night. Yeah. And like, I probably nobody probably epitomized that more than Jack Crowley's. They said, where like, if you get a little moment wrong, that you're not getting the next few little moments wrong as well, where Jack Crowley made plenty of mistakes during yeah. the match, but he always seemed to follow it up with something positive where those little mistakes weren't playing on his mind. Um, Off the tee, for example, he missed that kick straight in front of the post from, okay, it was a little bit far, maybe it was 35 meters out maybe um, during the first half. But then in the second half, he puts over two from the touchline straight between the sticks. Um, With the ball out of hand, he put one dead, he put one over the, uh, put one out on the full. But then at the same time, he still had the confidence to, keep bringing the ball up to the line, keep testing the French defence. And the first two tries, he had a big role to play in them where he brings that ball right up towards the line. And I think on both occasions got flattened by Pinato Mavaca. Um, the first one gets the pass off to James Lowe and Ireland from the next phase score a try. Second time round, Mavaca just shoots up and he just plays in Tyg Byrne. And, you know, it's the, the ability, I suppose, to particularly for a position like out half, yeah. to not let mistakes affect you is, is very, very important. And while it wasn't a perfect performance from him for, for someone making his 10th cap and, you know, just a second Six Nations start and by far the biggest start he's had in his career, it was a, it was a very, very good night's work all around. Yeah. Um, probably reiterating what the whole nation is saying at this stage, Neil, but he's so impressive. He's so he's so impressive. Like you could say 
from a young out half, like making a mistake early on in the game, like you, you've said it already, like might have you know got blocked down on a on a clearance kick, or you know the first kick that he took, which you you would think would have been relatively straightforward. Like I'd imagine if he took that kick ten times, he'd be he'd be slotting a nine down on the training pitch, um, if not ten. It's easy for a moment like that to, to, to affect a 10. But I think it just shows you like what kind of a person he is, what kind of a character he is, resilient, right? Because the easy thing there would have been to go back into his shell, to not be brave. Like you're talking about like bringing the ball to the line. Physically, he's so brave because, like you said, both of those passes where he was distributing the ball um, the first one, he was taking it to the front line and um, he pulled it out the back, got smacked. Um, it, it, was it Mavaka that smacked him both times? I know it was, was Mavaka yeah. that smacked yeah. him. Yeah. So, like, I'd imagine, like, it was definitely said in the change room before halftime, like, hit him as many times as you can. He's a young 10. Like, that's what I, that's what I would have been saying to the French. Um, but for him to be that brave, to know that that's coming for him and to wait to the last second to make sure that defender is committed and then release the pass. That's that's massively brave, especially bringing, uh, running into big tight forwards. Um, his weight of pass is, is fantastic. He knows how long to hold on to it and when at the last second to release it. That second try, the the, the one that you mentioned there with Tyg Byrne, um, I think it was, I'm not sure, was it Bundy or Robbie that were folding around out the back? Mm. And it was Dante. No, not Dante. Who was the... It was who, Dante, yeah. was it Dante, yeah. He was the next defender out. And he was so focused. Like, for Jack Crowley to execute on something like that and get it right, there's so many things he has to look at. First of all, he's to look at Mauvaka. He's to look at Mauvaka's distance. He's to look at Mauvaka's pace off the line. But he also has to engage and look at Dante, see what he's doing. Because the pass was perfectly weighted. The run, the line from Tyburn was superb. But he would have had to been able to see Movaca, see Movaca's pace off the line, look at Dante, see Dante take his turn out. He stepped out because he was worried about Robbie and, and, and Bundiaki folding around the back, which they often do. They often play it around the back. And for that split second, when Dante just took that half step to turn out to get the, the, the back door option, that's when he picked the moment to pass the tight burn and straight under the sticks. Like that's that's a calm headedness, a discipline. Like what age is he? Twenty three? Twenty two or three? Just just turned twenty four, I think. Literally only the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's um that's a maturity that you know tens maybe five, six, even ten years older than not a lot of them would have. So, and like that's just one that's just one example within the game of of you know, something that I saw. Um, and like, he throws himself around the defence. Like, it doesn't yeah. matter who's running at him. I saw him chop tackle Cyril Boy, the, the, the loose head prop for, for France. Um, most other loose head props, they're running at a tent. You know, they, they, that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing they dream of. But no, Jack Crowley gets down, chops him around his ankles and he falls flat on his feet, not, not a yard given over the gain line. Yeah, and like that's a big thing as well. Where he's he's more than capable of handling himself physically out there as well. Like, yeah, talking about the the amount of the amount of big tackles he gets because he's putting his body on the line and 
he's leaving himself in almost that kind of like ragdoll situation where he's, you know, there's ribs exposed every time he's passing those balls off late. And there was a great shot of as Ty Byrne was running in under the post, uh, just for that split second beforehand, you can see him. He's he's basically sit, sitting on his arse, essentially, because he's been uh, sparked out. But he's sitting on his arse. He just has one hand up in the air like that, celebrating the try. And uh, I think it was Jonathan Dante is about two yards ahead of him, just on the ground, yeah. uh, lying down flat in his face because he knows he's just missed the, the cleanest of tackles. But then yeah. he, like it was a few minutes before the, the burn try as well, where they ran that they, they almost scored from Josh van der Fleer where he got held up. And that comes from Jack Crowley bringing everyone down the blind side off that scrum and going himself and in fairness coming very very close like he yep. he rode that tackle fairly hard and and brought them close to the line and as you mentioned then as well the 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 couple of times in the second half where he was throwing himself at players and there was one on the um Posola Tuilagi yep he just got right down and chopped him down at the legs as well so uh not he's not trying to be like the Johnny Sexton tribute act but no he does also have that he likes the physical contact like like Johnny Sexton always did as well. Um, someone else who absolutely loves the physical stuff, uh, Big Joe McCarthy to use his to use his full name. Um yeah. like a lot of pressure on a player like that, similar to, to to Crowley as well, where not only is he coming in for a big six nation start, but coming in at the expense of someone like James Ryan, who's been First choice, second row for Ireland for nearly seven years, or yep. six, six and a half, seven years now. And for McCarthy to come in, and you could see inside the first few minutes that he was just dialed in. Every time he got the ball, he was getting over the gain line. Nine carries for about 40 to 45 metres as well. Yep. Uh, threw in nine tackles as well. Hit 23 rocks. Used him a couple of times in the line-out as well. Tyg Byrne probably had... a. The stats probably showed Ty Byrne maybe to, to have a better game, but given the context of everything, like he was just a and just by a mile player of the game, just just yeah. given the overall context of the situation, and it's a it's a big big find for Ireland to have a player like him now. Yeah, it's a it's it's a, it's a huge prospect. Um, like. It, what summed it up for me was a particular moment in the game. I think it was France that, that it came off of a line out. They hit the midfield. Um, the ball was scrappy, and like you talk about talismans, you talk about um, you know who are the big players. Uh, Aldrich takes the ball coming back against the grain. Say the ball is popped up, and Joe McCarthy like accelerates out of the line, and one of France's a, a prolific ball carrier for France, you know, and without a doubt, what like one of the best ball carriers France have, and Joe McCarthy just empties him. Like when I say empty him, I don't mean like just put him on the ground. He dips his shoulders just as Aldrich is catching the ball, puts his shoulder into his stomach and pumps his legs and drives him back, takes yards off. Um, like you've talked about all those stats, you've talked about all like the great things that he's done in the game. Like that for me is like a statement remark within the game. As in, there's a there's the man that France go to when they want go forward ball, and Big Joe McCarthy draws a line in the sand and says no, not today. Um, 
you mentioned about the meters again. What was it? Not, uh, 42, 43 meters for uh, nine carries? 40, 44 from nine yeah. carries. Yeah. What people don't appreciate or, you know, yeah. maybe so, people let to, it. Sorry to interrupt, but as well, like that's not, there's no big line break in there. Yeah. That's maybe accounting for, you know, 25, 30 meters. It was all just a series of kind of like five, six at a time. And, yeah. and those bloody add up. Oh, yeah. But the, where the where those meters were made, like when you talk about dog work, um, like it's not like he's getting that ball out on the wing yeah. and he gets, you know, he gets to carry carry into another like man that would be smaller than him that he can, you know, carry over the game line. Like he's carrying that ball into heavy contact. He's carrying that ball off of a rope into five five forwards or their big forwards. Um, like he's not a small man, but no, the French He's not are, a small man. <laughs> no, no, but the, the the French the French are big. They have they have weight to put behind the tackle. Um, for him to be making those yards in those areas, like it's like it's probably one of the hardest places to to carry into, you know, because it's uh, you could use any kind of cliches you want to describe it a combat zone, heavy traffic, whatever you want. But for him to be able to carry in there and make those yards and get that French French defense on the back foot. Absolutely massive, absolutely huge. What, what I really like about him as well is, like, the traditional way. Uh, when you talk about traditional way, it was it was like a maybe it was a it was a theme through some of the rugby world a couple of years back, where you carry to the outside shoulder, you know, get the ball, sit your defender down, and carry to the outside shoulder. And the theory is that the defenders on the inside of your tackler have to fold around the corner to fill the space because you're 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 chopping the line essentially. You don't need to do that if you can make yards, yeah. you know. And like the amount of times where, and maybe it was just ingrained in me because uh, that's how we were shown. Joe McCarthy gets the ball and he steps to go on the outside and then cuts back inside. I'm like, where is he going? Like, but then he makes five six yards, and it's the same net result because the French are on the back foot when the ball is launched off his rook. Um, like they're not on the front foot. They're not coming off the line. They're not airing off the line. It's the same net result. Um, like you mentioned as well, he, he what did he hit? 23 rocks. Like the one thing that I will say is also is that Ireland love playing off fast rock ball, right? One of the key ingredients, one of the parts of that recipe is people have to make the ball available, have to plow into that rock. And he loves it. He absolutely loves it. You know, when you can, you know, look at a player and you know, he enjoys the physical side of it. I think like he got, uh, he, one of the Irish guys carries the ball into contact and he's in support. He's just looking for someone to hit. He's just looking for a body to move out of the way. You know, um, I think it's great. It's, 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 he's a, he's a massive prospect for Ireland. I'd be keen to see where he goes. He is. And I, I mean, it's remarkable. It's, it's only just over two years ago to the day since he made his debut for Leinster. Like, you know, yep. Two, two years ago and two weeks, uh, yeah. not many people in the country knew who Joe McCarthy were, uh, was unless you were a, a regular watching Trinity College in the in the yeah. All-Ireland League. But um, to move that in towards the line out there, that was yeah. obviously, that was one of the big, big things coming out of the World Cup was the the inconsistency with the Irish line out where even, even if they were winning 80 to 85% of the ball, you could probably count another three or four line outs in the game that were being won scrappy where it was a you know it would get 
batted down or it wasn't landing cleanly into Gibson Park's hands or yep. it was just a chore to retain it. And particular, like the South Africa game was probably the, the nadir of it where they lost yep. three or four inside the opening few minutes. And like, if ever there was a game to reinforce just how important it is to have a high-functioning line-out, it was last Friday night where um, Ireland finally got 13 out of 13. And importantly as well, all 13 of those lineups were one clean. There weren't yeah. scrappy ones that they had to, you know, do a lot of work to to get back. And then also all five tries coming with the lineout as a primary source through yeah. a variety of ways as well. Two of the tries were, you know, in close to the line. You get it down, dominant mall, and you get over the line. There were another two then where they were much further out the pitch, but yeah. Ireland go through nine, ten phases and eventually get in and score. And then the other one would have been the opening try of the game from um from Gibson Park, where yep. they move it out into midfield, James Lowe carries, and then Bundiaki into into Henshaw and Gibson Park. So like you kind of forget how big of a weapon the lineout actually is when you know when you can use it as a primary source of possession, a primary source of scoring so often. Ireland yep. did four point two points uh per twenty two entry. In the over the course of those eighty minutes, like that's it's it's just short of scoring a try every time you get into the get into the red zone. Like it's it's very very ruthless and very very efficient. It is Neil, and and maybe going back a small bit to what maybe what Andy Farrell would have set out, um, what would have what 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 Andy Farrell would have set out in order to beat France, and like. It's not like I'm sitting there in the changing room, right? But as a guest, I would be saying physicality, defense, and your set piece. Um, because they are three areas that France have been strong in over the last two years, right? Like, if you look at set piece for a second, and you mentioned about lineouts, yeah, the lineouts were absolutely superb. But for them, for Ireland to put the ball into the corner and maul a French pack over once is impressive. For them to do it twice, like that's literally, ta- it's it's like taking, it's like taking the life and soul out of a French team, you know, being mauled over a line because the, the mentality that they have, like that they're bigger and they're stronger and they're set pieces, it's like taking away from them the, the very breath in their lungs. Mm. Um, not only that, but what I thought was what I what I thought was like it was obviously a tactic. You look at how many lineouts did Ireland turn over five yards from their own line, defending a French yeah. potential mall. That's very risky. Like that's a very risky thing to do for you to put a player up in the air that close to your line. Um nine times out of ten a coach is saying, Don't let him win it at the tail, we'll put a pot at the tail. Um just absolutely blitzes when they when it gets to ground. So I think Ty Byrne stole one line out. I can't remember off the top of my head who stole the other line out. To go up, like it shows how brave they were. It shows how much they were going after France, um, uh, the French set piece to take away like what they would consider their way of getting into the game potentially. You know, um, yeah, like the, the line out was fantastic. I thought it was very good and. Ireland are absolutely lethal, you know, and, and you talk about the line out and you've alluded to it there. It's not like line out, ball into the middle, pitch, score a try. It's their set plays. It's their third phase. It's their fourth phase. It's their fifth phase. 
where they'll cut you, you know, and they'll have looked at the video, they'll have looked at, you know, how teams defend when you get into multi-phase and they're able to play and manipulate teams the way they want. Um, probably a lot, probably like being a man down as well definitely didn't help. But, mm-hmm. you know, a team like Ireland, they'll find space when there's 15 people on the pitch. They'll find it twice as quick when they're down a man. Yeah, and like, like, like even even accounting for the the man advantage Ireland had for the majority of the game, yeah. even when it was when it was fifteen on fifteen, Ireland actually did have a lot of lineouts in that yeah. period in that first half. I think I, I think I said earlier there was a was it four or five inside the first ten minutes when it was fifteen on fifteen, and I yeah. think Fra- France contested four of the first eight. Like, like a lot of the lineout ball that was won was uncontested, but in the first half. France did contest four or five times and Ireland won each of them clean, which is, it is reassuring. Probably yeah. though, I think, you know, once one swallow doesn't make a, doesn't make a spring. And, so, you know, so like, you know, it's, it's a small enough sample size to declare the Irish line out fixed. It's probably something that we'll have to, to wait and see further on into the competition, mainly against England, who did a job in Italy's line out at the weekend. And, and even yeah. to be honest, in towards the summer tour in South Africa will be the, the proper benchmark of of whether or not the the scrum is fixed, but there was um a lot of promising signs in it. They they even changed up, you know, that it wasn't just executing what they were trying to do in the World Cup better. They, yeah. I, I was looking through the the opta sheets, and they give you a good idea of you know how many how many people are in the line out and during the World Cup and before the World Cup, the the vast majority of Ireland's lineouts was it was five man and it was five plus one, yeah. uh against France it was 45% of their lineouts 45% of the 13 lineouts were either full man or full plus full plus one yeah so there's definitely been a lot of work gone into deciding what they're doing and and what their shape is going to be and also as well for Tyburn to be coming in and and calling the lineouts all of a sudden that was a big responsibility um a lot of people probably would have thought it was a big gamble to put Joe McCarthy in for for James Ryan rather than for Josh van der Fleer yeah, and you know you're you're removing one of your one of your key line out uh one of your key line out jumpers in it. So they made a lot of big calls in there, and there's clearly been a lot of work. But I suppose time will tell over the next yeah. few months to see whether or not it's it's fully fixed. And some of those like some of those stats are are, are interesting there, Neil. Like a, you use a five man line out typically to take away a two pod marking mm-hmm. system. Um, Ireland, like we all know the the line out, it wasn't so good in the World Cup at times. Um, which is probably why they defaulted to a five-man, you know. Um, they would prefer the seven-man lineouts or the six-plus-ones because it opens up space for their backs. And their backs are lethal. Mm. Their backs are absolutely lethal. Like, a lot harder for a team attacking. Say you have a five-man lineout, that means there's two back rows out, there's more, the defensive line. It probably doesn't give them what they need. Like, I... Like I said, I don't know exactly, you know, what their what their ethos is, but just going off what you said there, looking for full man lineups, I, I think the Irish backs want to take on teams, take them on one on one, um, in with with space to do so, um, which yeah, look at like what you said, uh, one hot day doesn't make a summer swallow even, so, um, we'll see, yeah, there, there'll be that'll be tested, that'll be tested in the in the games coming up and into the summer tour too. Mm. One of the one of the final bits on on Ireland specifically, just around around Andy Farrell and the man management yeah. and 
I suppose, just making people feel at ease because there would have been, they've had to deal with a lot of talk over the last few weeks of people asking them, is, is there going to be a World Cup hangover? Is there going to be a World Cup hangover? And they've been fairly emphatic. No, there won't be, you know, positive positive vibes heading towards the Six Nations. But it was interesting um, after the match on Friday, Andy Farley was asked about Calvin Nash, you know, getting a getting his try on his Six Nations debut. Great story, yada, yada, yada. And he was saying that, you know, he'd actually noticed that Nash was, he was being very, very quiet during the week. And he, you know, had a little word at him on Friday just to to see how he was feeling. And a short while later, we were talking to Nash and we were asking him, you know, can you give us an idea of, of what Farrell was saying to you? And uh, the quotes here was actually just quite interesting. He said, it opened my eyes up to how good Faz is with people looking out to see what way they are. He came up to me and he said, you've been quiet this week. And I was like, how has he spotted this? Uh, I had a good chat with him. He just said, what are you going to do in attack? What are you going to do in in defense? That kind of thing. And I had all the answers. And then he said, there you go. There's the answers. Just yep. be yourself. Uh, I think on the outside, ourselves in the media and the the average punters as well, we can probably get very fixated on the the big team talks in the moments before a match and at halftime. And, you know, what inspirational things is Andy Farrell going to be saying to his players? Um. Sometimes it's very, very simple and it's yep. it's probably a little bit boring. It's it's just ask it's getting the players to to give you the answers and then holding up the mirror to them and say, Look, there you are. You know all the answers. You're you're perfectly set. Um it's it's quite simple really. It is, and uh, it's kind of maybe how he empowers the players. Yeah. You know. Like take take Calvin. I like I, I, I watched that that interview and I think yeah, the, the phrase that Andy Farrell used to him was be the best version, be the best possible version you can be of yourself. Um, and that's massive, right? Because, uh, look, like, what was Calvin Nash thinking during, during the week? You know, I have to do this, I have to do that. What if, you know, I, I don't imagine what goes through a player's head when they're getting their first run out. Um, but what Andy Farrell is essentially saying there is, you know what you're doing. You have the jersey because you're good enough to be there. Just go out and perform. Just go out and be yourself. Just go out and do what got you the jersey in the first place. And like, for a coach of any calibers, like, uh, saying that to a player, saying that to a player that's going out for his first cap, I'd imagine that's massively powerful. Like, put your mind at ease. Um, yeah, and look, I, I, you know, people saying then as well, like, people were focusing on Crowley or Joe McCarthy gone in a, Ahead of James Ryan, they're all big. They're all you know big calls. You know maybe the Jack Crowley call isn't isn't a big call. It you know this is this is his chance more so than anything else. But like Jack Crowley, Joe McCarthy, they've been around the squad for a while. You look at the team that was picked around them. You know you have Jack Crowley, his first start away to France in in a cauldron, and. Jemison Gibson Park is the nine. Caelan Doris is like, you look at the axis of a team, it's normally like you're eight, nine, ten, twelve. And you have Caelan Doris at eight, uh, Jemison Gibson Park at nine. Then you have Crowley at ten. You have Bundy at twelve. And Robbie at thirteen. Um, they're all hugely experienced players to put in around Jack Crowley. Like I've seen, I've seen Bundy in action. I in the sports grounds or wherever, he's yeah. constantly talking, constantly talking. 
yapping. And like that narrative for even a player, I know you brought up about Calvin Nash, but that narrative going into a player like Crowley, who is gifted in his own right, you know, that narrative, that extra set of eyes of Bundy shouting in, he'd look at, he'd be looking up at the defense, shouting in to see what they're doing. Um, like it's comfort, you know, it's, it's, it's enabling those players who are, use the quotation marks, inexperienced. But like they're in the best possible environment because that like they were the questions that was probably why people were thinking okay we could go down to the French because you know Jack Crowley isn't that Johnny Sexton's level yet or you know Joe McCarthy you know he's only it's 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 his first start against the French as far as I can remember um well when you take the bigger picture and look at it Andy Farrell has in my opinion, all these thoughts, all these situations thought about, all weighed up, measured to within an inch for him to make the right call. It's kind of like it happens and then you think afterwards, oh, it makes sense now. You know, it's like he's, I don't know, a step ahead of everyone else when it comes to thinking. Yeah, just a very, very simple and just smart man management. It was funny, though, yeah. you mentioned Bondiaki and how much he talks. I think... Uh, all of us discovered that during uh, during COVID when the games were played behind closed yeah. doors, yeah. <laughs> that was that was an eye opening ex- experience to 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 hear what the players were saying on the pitch and just who in particular. I remember Bundyaki and James Lowe in particular just would not shut up for eighty yeah. minutes. It was um it was actually a good it was a good insight. Looking looking ahead at the the Italy game this weekend, then um considering how well Ireland went at the weekend and how you had a few inexperienced players in there. You'd probably expect, barring injuries this week anyway, that we would probably be seeing the same 15. I know Gary Ringrose maybe could be back fit, but like it'd be hard to break up Bondiaki and Robbie Henshaw after how well they played together as a unit as well on, on Friday night as well. Would you be surprised to see any changes to that starting 15, bar injuries, of course? Yeah, well, like, if it was a shorter turnaround. Yeah, nine-day turnaround as well, obviously, is, is working in their favour. Yeah, if it was a shorter turnaround, you think yeah. Andy Farrell might say, okay, well, you know, in terms of the fixtures that are coming up, we might give X, Y, and Z, you know, a rest or a week off or whatever because we'll need them for this, 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 and this. But if it's a nine-day turnaround, Neil, I, I, I wouldn't expect to see changes. But at the same time then, like Andy Farrell will make the you know, the call that's right for, for him and the squad and he seems to be seems to be kind of nailing it at, at this point. So wouldn't expect to see any changes, but you never know either. Um how much did you see of of Italy at the weekend and are there areas in their game that, that you think could trouble Ireland? <sighs> I'm trying to think of a Political answer, but no, there's, there's, there's not Neil. Um, like if Ireland perform like they performed on Friday night against the Italians, and the Italians play at the same level, like don't get me wrong, there's like facets of their game that are, that are very good. Yeah. Um, some of their attack. Now, looking at the game, how good England were in D, I don't know. Um, like Garbisi seemed to find a lot of space down the extremities. I don't necessarily think that that's going to be there with. With Ireland, yeah, um, I, I I think from a from a from a team standpoint, Ireland's defence will be a lot more settled than what England is, um, at the moment. They'll probably 
you know, I know they're saying they're trying a new system and all this kind of crack. They they, they did look at see it sometimes. Um, you know, I, I don't think they'll experience a defence like that and their ability to hold on to the ball or their ability to execute under pressure, under the pressure of an Irish defence. I don't think it's, I wouldn't expect much of it. Um, that's not to say they won't come out and, and, and still give it their best, but I could see Ireland putting in some scores very early yeah. on in the game, putting the game out of reach and the Italian heads going down. Yeah, like you, you could see it, as you were saying with the English defence there, you could see it actually in, you could see both sides of it where in the second half, there was definitely a, a refocus at half time. And for a good chunk of the second half, you could actually see that everyone was coming up in that line together and there was really, really good line speed and they were way more of a unit than they were in the first, in the yeah. first half. And you could see when England did it right, they were just completely shutting Italy down and they didn't really have much else they could go to. But obviously then, if if whenever they did show Italy those couple of holes, they were very, very quick to exploit them. And yeah. they seem to be playing a bit more pragmatically this year under uh under Casada than they were under uh under Kieran Crowley. And obviously yeah. they've had a big blow as well now where there were times in the first half against England where they they actually dealt with them physically quite well. Um and we know they've got some very, very big forwards, but yeah. Sebastian Negri is is ruled out. I think Lorenzo Canone, the number eight who actually yeah. gave Ireland so much trouble over in Rome last year. He was probably the Italy's best player on the day. Uh he's he's a doubt, it looks like he came off he'd been struggling with an injury in the in the first half and um came off early in the second. Yeah. And then also as well obviously the the line out defence that was very, very good for Ireland against France. England picked them apart quite well in Rome on Saturday. They won uh, Italy won 12 of their of their 15 lineouts, so they lost three but there was another three that were down in the the opta stats as being yep. scrappy so they were you know they were disrupted ball as well so you're talking England either stealing or disrupting six of the 15 lineouts. that's got to be an area as well that Ireland would be going after yeah like with some of the with some of the defensive lineout forwards I have like Peter Romani superb at getting off the ground um Ty Byrne as well um, we saw him steal lineouts at the weekend against against the French. Um, you would think that, although you wouldn't know looking at the weekend, I don't think France's lineout was functioning particularly well. No. But yeah, they they have they, they have the ability there to put pressure on Italy, and you know all it takes is maybe one or two lineouts at the start of the game where Ireland get on top, and you know it can become a mental battle. Then after that, they might not, you know, have the might not have the same kind of mental capacity that Jack Crowley has to make a mistake and come back from it. Um, so yeah, look, I, I don't think I don't like Andy Farrell and the squad. They'll obviously respect the Italians. They'll do their their they'll do their due diligence, um, because they have the discipline to do it. Like I don't think there's any even going to be looking at it as in a you know a, a an absolute given uh, result. But having said that. If Ireland execute the way that we know they can, or even the way they did against France, I I don't think it'll be a contest. Neil. Yeah. So that's the that's the Sunday game live on RT Radio One on Sunday afternoon live commentary with uh with Michael Corcoran. Um, what's <laughs> what's what's also interesting? We'll we'll get through the next two games uh coming up this weekend quite quickly. So we've got uh Scotland and France is a very very interesting one where. 
Scotland, bloody like if ever there was an 80 minutes that just kind of summed up everything about this Scotland team where you had just some stunning rugby for the first 45 minutes, scored some absolutely scorching tries. Finn Russell was just, yeah. he he just had the ball on a string. He was feeding Duan van der Merwe and everything just looked fantastic. And then to be 27-0 up early in the second half and to somehow not get a bonus point win is is... It's it's staggering to be totally honest, but it sets up a really really interesting game against France, where, uh, you know, on you can kind of look at it from every angle. Where on one hand you're thinking, okay, that it shows Scotland are very very vulnerable, but then on the other hand, if you're feeling optimistic about Scotland, you can say, well, that's the kick up the backside they they desperately needed, and you know they've had a decent, you know they they won a couple of years ago again. Uh, they've they've beaten France a couple of times in recent seasons at Murrayfield as well, and. Um, France obviously going to Scotland this weekend looking very vulnerable and not very impressive after last weekend it's actually set up this game to be to be a really really interesting match it's it's hard to know what way it's going to go at all Um, like with the French right and I thought they had like the temperamental French was, a, you know, a, a phrase that was used. I, I think that the recent squ- the, the the squad since the likes of Sean Edwards have been in there, they've like, I suppose maybe got rid of that. Um, that it's not like they don't play on their emotions. Um, but then, I suppose the question is, how much better can France be? France can't be any worse, I don't think, than what they were at the weekend. Yeah. But but how much better can Scotland be? Is probably the right way to look at it. And I think I would. I think France will beat them away. I think France yeah. will beat them in Murrayfield. Like there's no way for them to be winning twenty seven nil against the Welsh. Like there was there was stages there that match Neil where I you know getting up and just walking out went out to the kitchen making myself a cup of tea but hot like this game is over like it's finished. There's nothing else to see here. Yeah, and I. Come back in after making a cup of tea and see Wainwright crashing over the line, and the Welsh lads are all whooping and hollering. Scotland were lucky to win that game. Um, yeah. Like I, I know they were held up over the line, but they missed the they missed the conversion at one stage. Um, sorry, they, no, they didn't, but they missed the conversion. One of the tries that uh, Scotland conceded could have been a penalty try. Yeah, yeah, off yeah, the, yeah. Off the mall. It was awarded as a regular try. They missed the conversion. But if that was a penalty, if that was a penalty try, they wouldn't have to take the kick to get seven points. Yeah, yeah. And if the and if the game pans out the same way, Wales beat Scotland. So, like, I I don't know from a mental capacity where Scotland are. Like, you talk about the resilience, you talk about the discipline of Ireland, and it's like Scotland are like it's chalk and cheese here. You know, yeah. like what you said, Finn Russell and Duhan van der Merwe. Duhan van der Merwe finishing from. Like fifty yards out, fantastic try, but then they just like capitulate. Um, I don't know, I don't know. It's it's hard to know where their where their heads at. Yeah, I, I like it's it's very hard to confidently predict predict this game at the weekend because as you say, it's two two sides who gave us just fairly wild performances on Saturday. Scotland, you you you'd have to assume as you say they couldn't possibly be as good in the first half or they couldn't possibly be as good as they were in the first half in Cardiff, and they couldn't possibly be as bad as they were in the second. So yeah. maybe their performance is going to be somewhere in the middle. 
which would be a, a normal enough level of performance. And then he said, France, surely they couldn't be as bad again two weeks in a row. And if they are, all of a sudden, there's serious questions that have to be asked of, of Fabian Galtier. And yeah. have they just gone back to the France that we knew six, seven years ago, where they were just playing on their emotions week on week as well? Um, yeah. Finally, then, uh, we'll mention Wales against England. Um, Wales similar to Scotland. Obviously, it's a it's a game of two halves. England, um, weren't particularly impressive against against Italy in terms of attack, but like, it's funny to look through the stats. You would actually probably think England won that game a lot more comfortably than they did. Their ball retention was the fastest of of all six teams across the weekend. They were comfortable. They took the line out apart, but there's just something about their attack at the moment where. They're never really going to... It's hard to see how they dominate a team on the scoreboard, even if they dominate them physically, because they're just not creating and executing enough chances. Yeah, I, I don't even know do they have a pack to to dominate a team physically anymore. Um, like, Don't get me wrong, they're, they're, they're good forwards, but think back of Eng- think back to English packs in the year, in years past, and like, they, they, they just grind you asunder. Um, they're kicking the ball less anyway. Um, I, I saw some stat that only kick off one every one in every two. Where previously, where now it's maybe one and three. Um, it doesn't look like the the attack is settled. It doesn't look like they all know exactly their role. They all singing off the same hymn sheet. Um, I think the Welsh should be going up to Twickenham with a bit of hope. You know, like obviously if that game panned out the way it did and it was Scotland kicked on and 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 kept the ham like kept the foot on the throttle and put on, you know, forty points to ten or that kind of a performance. Wales would be going up to Twickenham with their tail between their legs thinking, Oh God, what are we facing into here? But that second half performance out of Wales when they wanted to play and like Scotland that that'll inspire a bit of fight. Um I genuinely I won't say they won't have any fear going up to Twickenham, but it'll be very much a case of lads like the second 40 minutes against Scotland, just go out and play. Just go out and play. No fear. Go after the English. And like there's some fine, fantastic rugby players on that Welsh team. Um, it's probably just a bit of belief that they need. Uh, a bit of belief in their execution. Yeah, be interesting to see. And who knows, maybe if, if Wales can pull off something at the weekend, they'll be coming to Dublin with a that match in a few weeks' time. It'll be looking a lot different. But um, yeah. we'll see how it goes. England against Wales is the live game on RT2 and RT Player. This uh, Saturday afternoon, 4.45 kickoff. And there's also coverage on Friday night of their under-20s meeting is on the RT player as well. Um, that's where we're going to leave it for this week. JP, thanks a million for joining us. We got through a, got through a lot there. Um, as a reminder as well, Ireland against Italy Sunday afternoon live commentary on RT Radio 1 with Michael Corcoran and Fiona Coughlin. So tune in for that and tune in to us next week when we'll be back on the RT Rugby podcast. Looking back, on round two's games and uh, looking ahead at the, the round three games which are coming up after the fallow week next week. But 